Today's sermon text is Ephesians 1, 1 through 6. It can be found in the Bible in the rack in front of you on page 976. Hear the word of the Lord. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Christ Jesus, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. May God bless the reading of his word. Good morning. Would you pray with me as we dive into God's word together? Heavenly Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing in your sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Have you ever been in a place where you belong, or at least you felt like you used to, but something has changed in your life or in the life of those around you, and all of a sudden that place that felt like it was home just doesn't feel that way anymore? I love Christmas, I love Christmas movies, and one of my favorites, you can love me or hate me for this, is the movie Elf. If you don't know the story, there is a human, a, a baby, who as an infant crawls out of his crib and somehow crawls into uh, Santa's toy sack and is brought from his dwelling to the North Pole. And when he gets there, instead of deciding to send him back, they, the people of the North Pole, the elves, decide, you know, we're just going to raise him as an elf. That sounds really sweet, but it presents some problems. So if you're a human living in an elf world, taking a shower is really difficult. You may be called upon all the time that where your job is to change the batteries and the smoke alarm. You may have to make toys and your big human man hands don't work as fast as your fellow elf hands. So what happens is Buddy, the elf, he learns one day that he is a human. He realizes, I don't. I don't belong here. And all of a sudden his world is flipped upside down as he says, this place where I thought I was from and I belonged, it's, it's not my home. I don't, I don't belong in this place. And so he decides to go home. But when he goes back to New York City where he's from, where his father lives, he gets there and realizes that all of a sudden his elfish habits means he doesn't belong there either. So it's inappropriate to serve spaghetti to someone and pour maple syrup over the top of it. That's not really normal human breakfast. And at the, towards the end of the movie, he, he realizes, he feels like he doesn't belong anywhere. So he, he writes a note to his family and he says he's running away. He says, I'm, I'm sorry that I did this. I, I don't belong here. And I'm not sure that I belong anywhere. Everybody is looking for some sense of belonging. It's just kind of built into us as 
people made in the image of God. We long to have relationships with other people. So that means that you choose a gym oftentimes because you connect with a friend or a coach and you want to be there and you feel like this is the place where I fit. Or kids, if you walk into the, the lunchroom or a cafeteria at school and there's tables kind of spread out before you, it can be a terrifying feeling like I've got to find a place where people are going to talk to me and accept me and bring me in. Or around your family dinner table. We want to find a place where we belong. The book of Ephesians, where we're going to spend the next several months, Lord willing, is in many, place, many ways a book about belonging. In this booming uh, Asian city, by God's grace, many people had heard the gospel of Jesus. They'd heard the good news and they had turned from what they had been, from worshiping false gods, from worshiping maybe the emperor, and by God's grace they turned and trusted in Christ. But in doing that, they are now a people who feel like they have no home. They don't belong to the pagan cults and the false worship of the gods that many of their neighbors belong to, maybe the place that they had stepped out of. They don't belong quite into the Jewish synagogue where the name of Jesus might actually bring persecution to them. Where do they belong? And throughout this letter, Paul is going to answer that question in a variety of ways. He's going to lay some bedrock foundations, and especially in these first three chapters, and tell them the good news that they belong to God and Christ. And then he's going to address what that belonging looks like, how that plays out in their lives. Those who belong to Jesus live in the family like this. That's going to be chapters four through six. That's one of the reasons I love this letter so much, why I'm excited we get to spend the next few months in here. And this morning, we are going to start kind of at the bedrock. All right, the, the letter starts at the very beginning and actually even before the very beginning of time. And so I want us to see in Ephesians 1, 1 through 6. I want to see some truths and I want us to respond to that. And here, here's kind of the main point, what I hope you see in this text and what I hope this text elicits from you. Praise the Father. Because he chose to adopt us into his family. Praise the Father because he chose to adopt us into his family. And to structure our time together this morning, we're going to start, we're, we're going to spend several uh, months here in Ephesians. So we'll take a little time and just talk about some introductory stuff about Ephesians that I think will be helpful in looking at this letter. And then we're going to spend most of our time looking at five truths from verses 3 through 6 about belonging to God. And my prayer for, for you, my prayer for, for us and our time together is that as we spend this, these few moments just reflecting on God's grace to us and God's kindness in adopting us into his family, that you would just have no choice as we sing and as we pray and as you live your life and as we leave here, but to leave with praise on your lips for what God has done in his mercy for you and for me as sinners. So let's, let's dive into Ephesians. I want to start again with just a few overview things about the, the introductory things as we get into the book of Ephesians. There are a, a lot of information that you'll find as you read, and a lot of it is, is found for us here in the beginning of the letter. So there in the very first line, we know this letter was written by the Apostle Paul. You've probably heard of him, know a lot about him already. And Paul himself was writing this, and he was no stranger to not belonging you remember Paul's story himself? He belonged to the party of the Pharisees, a Jewish people who were persecuting Christians. He was sent to go drive Christians out of 
the synagogue to take them and arrest them. And then he actually has a moment where he realizes that his life has changed and he doesn't belong where he thought it was either. In Acts chapter 9, he meets the risen and reigning Lord Jesus Christ. And his life is turned upside down. And instead of being sent out by the Pharisees to persecute Christians, he is now sent out as an apostle of Jesus Christ to draw people into that church. So he knows what the grace and peace of Christ looks like. And he's writing this to these Christians in the church of Ephesus. That's the second line there. To the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus. Uh, Don't get confused by this word saints. If you come from kind of a Catholic uh, upbringing or if that's your background, you may think saints are like, the most pious of people. They are the, the relative few people who maybe the, these are the most holy people in the book of, in the church of Ephesus. Uh, or if you're like me in my house and you say things like, Laura is such a saint to live with me. You may say some of that in your own house. That's not what Paul is getting at. These are not the most pious, the most Christian. He's just talking to the faithful, to the believers who are in Christ in Ephesus. And the city of Ephesus was, was a major city in Asia Minor. It's now, if you go and kind of map it out, today you would find it in the country of Turkey, which we just spent some time praying for. And the predominant, this is an important background, is the, the predominant religious background for those who were in Ephesus is not Christian. Most people would be coming out of Greek polytheism. And you find in the book of Acts, actually, that one of the things, if you walk into the city of Ephesus, and, and that would really leave an impression upon you is that in the city of Ephesus was this huge temple to the goddess Artemis, the goddess of the hunt. Uh, there was a lot of commerce that spread about this. So people would make little silver shrines to Artemis. If you were a tourist, you could go and buy this shrine. You could take it home. Uh, and there you could say, I could, I could make sacrifice and worship Artemis in my own home. There was this rock that fell from the sky, something like a meteorite that they thought was holy, that they, they venerated. And so they, this was the background for these people coming out of, of pagan worship. But remember, Paul himself had spent several years in Ephesus ministering in his second missionary, his third missionary journey, rather. And his ministry to these people spread far and wide. So you actually read in Acts 19.26, what started as like a small group of Christians in this city. Some of his opponents actually say there are now a great many people. The gospel has gone so that everyone in Asia has heard of this good news. And that brings some tension in the city. So you have people who are following Jesus and all of a sudden these people who make their living by selling silver shrines of Artemis, their income is going down. And so there's tension in the city, even a riot that happens in Acts 19. And now seven years or so after being in Ephesus, Paul is writing this letter to these believers, these Christians, many of who are stepping out of false worship. He knows that for those who believe us who are coming out of polytheism, it, it, it's disorienting. They're stepping into a new world. There's threat of tension between these new found Christians and Jewish Christians even. There's the need to know, how do I live now that I belong to Christ? And all these things he's going to address in this letter. Now, I want, to, I want to stop really quickly and point out something, something I think that we need to emphasize before we go into the blessings of chapter 3 through, uh, verses 3 through 14, rather. So, verses 3 through 14, where we're going to spend a lot of our time the next couple of weeks, talk about the abundance of blessings that we have from God, the, the joy that we have in that. 
But we need to kind of have in our mind, when you think about blessings that come from God, the scriptures are very clear that we have kind of two buckets that we put these blessings into. Okay, bucket number one. These are common grace blessings. This is common grace that we can talk about. So think about rain that comes down and waters the crops, the breath that is in your lungs, relationships that you enjoy with your neighbors or with your family. Those are good gifts from God that are given to everybody, regardless of whether you belong to Christ or not. And we're grateful that the Father of lights gives all good gifts. So whether you as a Christian enjoy the breath in your lungs or your non-Christian neighbor, he may not acknowledge God, but the fact that he is alive is a mercy. That's a common grace blessing. But there's a second kind of category of blessing that's not universal. It doesn't come to us just because we're human, but it's given specifically to God's people in Christ. And this is what we would call special grace, God's special grace. These blessings that we're talking about this morning and that we'll talk about in the weeks to come, they are not things that every person just has by nature of being human, by right of being born. These are gifts that come from God and they come only, only in Christ. And I want to point this out because I, as a pastor, feel a particular burden. And maybe as a pastor in the American South, feel a particular burden around this. We can easily presume that because we have grown up around kind of Christian things, that therefore we belong to Christ. Or maybe you could say, I was baptized at a certain point. I attend church regularly. I've given to this. And we can, if we're not careful, think that because I was born in this place and I belong here, I've been here a long time, these blessings are mine. But that is, friends, not the case from this text. This text is clearly written to those who are faithful, who believe in Christ Jesus. So if you are here this morning and you are not a Christian, I, I just want you to know a few things from me and from, from this church. I'll just speak on behalf of this church, I think. First, we are so glad you are here. Friends, we would, we would say there is no better place to be on a Sunday morning than in, uh, in around God's people worshiping the Lord. The second thing we want you to know is that we want these blessings to be yours. We are not here so that we can hoard all this and celebrate the goodness that God has given us and relish the fact that there are people on the outside of that. We actually want to tell you about this because we want you to come in and we want you to know these blessings that are in Christ. And the third thing we want you to know is that know that these things we speak about, that grace and peace, that they come in and only in Christ Jesus. And so if you are here this morning and you're not a Christian, I would love to talk to you this morning about what that looks like and how you can be part of God's family so that you can receive these blessings. You can find me after the service. I'll be down here up front. You can find any Christian. If you came here with a friend and you're not sure about this, please go to lunch and ask them about this. They would be happy to talk to you about what it means to belong to Christ and how we can know that grace and have that blessing. If you're, if you're here and you are just unsure, if you say, well, I've been in church a long time and I don't know if I'm a Christian, that's something we'd love to help you think through as well. Again, find me or find one of the elders of this church. We would love to help you pray through and think through that for your life. 
Now, Paul concludes this opening with a greeting. Uh, This is something he does in almost all of his letters. And this greeting does, in some ways, preview some of the major topics that Paul is going to talk about. I've already used the words a lot because they crop up over and over. Grace and peace from God and Christ. Have you ever met somebody who just can't stop talking about a particular topic? They have something that they just always want to talk about. But Laura and I, this was many years ago, but we were at, I believe it was her grandparents' 60th wedding anniversary, a party for their 60th wedding anniversary. And we met one of, uh, one of their friends, a family friend of Laura's grandparents. We were at that time uh, college students, I think, at Auburn or going to Auburn. And this, this man would talk about nothing with me but Alabama football. I told him I was an Auburn student. I told him, I asked him questions, what do you do, where are you growing up? And he would answer that in about a sentence. And then his next question would be, what do you think about Alabama secondary next year? He was a conversational bulldozer. We're going to talk about Alabama football. It doesn't matter if you want to or not. This is where we're going. Look back at what Paul has done in these first three points of this letter, verses one and two. Who he mentions in his name and the people he's writing to. And in the greeting, there is one name that crops up over and over, and it is Christ Jesus. Every square inch of Paul's life has been affected by his encounter with the living Christ. If you remember in in the book of Corinthians, Paul tells that church, I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And that plays out over and over in the book of Ephesians. He shows us from the very beginning of the Christian life, even before the beginning of your Christian life. From the foundation of the world all the way into eternity. All of our hope and all of our peace is founded in Christ. So that's, that's the brief introduction. That's Paul laying out what he wants to say for, up front and he's going to kind of play grace and peace out from Christ over and over. And from here, Paul jumps into what is really a long paragraph. It's actually one long sentence in the original language from verse 3 to the end of verse 14. It's a huge praise to what God has done and some of the spiritual blessings that he has given to his people. Verse 3 kind of acts as a summary statement. You'll see it there. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual Blessing in the heavenly places. And what we are going to do today in the next two weeks as he kind of walks through the rest of that paragraph, the next couple of paragraphs, he kind of breaks those spiritual blessings that come from Christ. And he wants to talk about those in a few different ways. And for this, for today, in the next two weeks, we're going to look at these spiritual blessings that we receive from God in Christ. And to start, Paul backs up to the very beginning. And actually before the very beginning. And he's going to spend these first few verses praising God for his choice to adopt us into his family. So look at verses 3 through 6. I'll read those again as we spend our time, the rest of our time this morning in verses 3 through 6. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, 
with which he has blessed us in the beloved. I want us in these few verses to see five truths, five truths about belonging to God. And I hope that these truths should lead us to greater praise of God. So first truth, we belong because of God's grace. We belong because of God's grace. Paul mentioned grace to begin with in verse 2. We'll have more to say about it later in the end of the sermon. But we can see God's amazing grace on display. I think you see it specifically on display when Paul talks about the timing when he chose us. Before the foundation of the world. If you ever played sports or you coached a sporting team, uh, for some of you, maybe you looked forward to this. For people like me, I hated evaluations. Something you would do at the beginning of the season where if, if say, say it's basketball, you go before all the coaches and the coaches are standing there and they give you a set of drills. You know, you dribble down and back, you use your right hand, use your left hand, switch between different hands, jump as high as you can, shoot 10 free throws. And they're all taking notes, just seeing if who's the best and who may not be the best. <laughs> and then after that, I've, I've not coached basketball. I have friends who have done that. You get in a room with all the coaches and you draft, you draft your teams to try to make them competitive. And if you perform well, you're in the first round. If you're not so well, you'll be later. And I'm afraid that if we are not careful in how we think about belonging to God and being chosen by him, we can kind of naturally start to think in those ruts and in those terms. We are, God is like this divine head coach. And he just looks down through history and he says, I'm going to pick those who are most skilled, most uh, righteous, maybe. I need, I want my gospel to go to the ends of the earth. So I'm going to pick the people who are most advantageous for my team. Or the people who are going to pick me, I'm going to just put them on my team. But if that's the way that you have thought about God's election of God's choosing you, a people for himself. I just want to ask you, what, what does that do maybe to your view of God's grace? So let me make this just concrete, really, really concrete here. Let's say that someone, I'm, uh, as I get to know you, you may just crop up as examples in my sermons. I'm sorry about that. So, but today I'm just going to use Laura. Nice, easy entryway. Let's say that, let's say that someone, uh, that God says, you know what? Laura is really, my wife is really smart. Uh, she's hospitable. She's kind. She's upright. And you know what? I think it would be, it would be good for me. I'm going to reward her for all those good things by putting her on my team. Now, if that's the way that this happens, is that choice one of grace? No, friends, I, I don't think so. In some sense, Laura has earned her place on that team. But that's not the picture that you have here in Ephesians 1 or throughout the Bible. Before the foundation of the world, before Laura was ever here, before she did anything good or bad, before Adam and Eve themselves were here, God chose to make for himself a people from every tribe and nation and tongue. He is not simply out there picking the best and the brightest or the sweetest and the kindest. Otherwise, how could we explain that I'm there? You may look at yourself and say, how could I explain if he's picking the best and the brightest? What am I doing? What grace that God chose me? No, friends, at the, at the bottom of salvation is God. 
Charles Spurgeon, one of the great Baptist preachers of the 19th century, he recounts how he kind of came to the realization of this truth when he was listening or maybe actually not listening to a sermon as a 16-year-old. This is on your note sheet if you were able to get one of those coming in. It's a longer quote, but I think it's helpful. One weeknight when I was sitting in the house of God, I was not thinking much about the preacher's sermon, for I did not believe it. That's a sobering thought for me, but we'll just keep going. The thought struck me. How did you come to be a Christian? I sought the Lord. But how did you come to seek the Lord? The truth flashed across my mind in a moment. I should not have sought him unless there had been some previous influence in my mind to make me seek him. Well, I prayed, I thought I, but then I asked myself, how came I to pray? I was induced to pray by reading the scriptures. How came I to read the scriptures? I did read them, but what led me to do so? And then in a moment, I saw that God was at the bottom of it all and that he was the author of my faith. And so the whole doctrine of grace opened up to me. And from that doctrine, I have not departed to this day. And I desire to make this my constant confession. I ascribe my change wholly to God. Do you know this truth to be true, brothers and sisters in Christ? That you're going from death to life? From outside God's kingdom, not belonging to being a part of God's family. It is all of God's good doing. And if that is the case, do you see what kind of people we ought to be before him? And before each other even, before people around us. Who can walk around with pride and puffed up as if we're the greatest when we realize it is grace that we're here? There is no place for pride or boasting in the life of those who belong to Christ because it was not us. Just to press this one step further, think of how the wondrous truth of God's choosing a people for himself ought to be an encouragement and a joy in our evangelism. One of the arguments that I think is kind of put forward against this idea that we're chosen for God's family, that God chooses for a people for himself by grace. There's even stories about this, missionary stories of people who say, well, if that's the case, then why go tell people about the gospel? Why go across the world to a different country if God's done the choosing? Friends, that's, that's not the way the Bible plays this out. It's not what the Bible says. And I would beg to disagree that that puts a damper on our evangelism. I actually think that I am not smart enough to convince anybody to go from death to life. I'm not persuasive enough to make somebody who loves their sin and cherishes that with all in them to give that up and turn to Christ. I'm not powerful enough for that. And you are not either. But God is. And he tells us that our job is not to go out and say, go change hearts. Go be the ones who make this happen. He says, I've chosen a people for myself. I am lifting Jesus high. You go lift Jesus high and I will draw people to myself. That's his job. Our job, friends, is to be faithful. To share the gospel and know that he does the drawing. If you're discouraged in your evangelism, if you've shared the gospel and you think, you know, I just am not seeing people come to know him. Don't grow weary in doing good. Trust the Lord and keep going. Be faithful. Remember what God himself told, well, the Lord Jesus told Paul in his own ministry in the city of Corinth. Don't be afraid. But go on speaking, for I have many in this city who are my people. And Paul continued to minister in Corinth, empowered by that truth. There are many who I am going to 
tell the gospel to and God will draw them. God has for himself a people and he is saving all of his people by his grace. We are called to be ambassadors to take his message to the end of our streets and to the end of the world that we might see his people come in. We belong ultimately because of God's grace. But belonging does not mean that we are just static. You say, I belong because of grace. That doesn't mean that there's no change that comes about in our lives. So Paul says, secondly, that we belong to be made holy. We belong to be made holy. And here the order of these points actually matters a lot. Okay, Holiness before God is not the root. It is not at the base of the cause of our salvation. Holiness before the Lord, though, is certainly an inevitable and intended consequence. Something that flows out of our grace and belonging to Christ. It's the fruit of belonging to God. We were chosen, Paul says, that we should be holy and blameless before him. We talked this morning a little bit about, uh, in the core training, about the doctrine of humanity and how God created mankind to be his representatives, to be in relationship with God. Perfect, good relationship. And that was broken by sin in Genesis chapter 3. And in this, this little phrase, we see that God is actually intending to remake the world as he intended and to remake humanity as he intended. You can look at your own life and realize that holiness and blamelessness, they don't belong to me right now. I'm not holy. I'm not blameless. But God is slowly chipping away at the places of my life that don't look like Jesus Christ. And he intends that one day we stand before him, holy and blameless, once again, just as he intended us to be in the garden. And if you look at your life today and you're concerned that you're not less, you're, you're not sinless yet, don't, don't be afraid. God's timetable is not ours. And even in those little words, verse 4, before him, I think Paul is saying that what he has in mind here is that we will stand before the Lord on judgment day one day. So we will not be sinlessly perfect in this life. That doesn't mean we don't strive to be holy. We don't strive to obey the things the Lord has told us. But we are told that one day when we stand before him, we will be made holy. Not because of our own righteousness, but because of Christ's in us. And this holiness is meant to complement the grace that we have seen. Grace, uh, this is the the phrase that has helped me just grasp this the most. So this is easy to remember. It's memorable. It rhymes some. So grace is the root and holiness is the fruit. Don't get those mixed up. Grace is the root and holiness is is the fruit. So if someone asks you, how did you become a Christian? How did you become a Christian? If you answer, well, I, I started going to church at this date. I was baptized at this date. Uh, I'm doing lots of good things. And that, that is the, the extent of your answer on how I became a Christian. I would just say back up to that first point about God's grace. Think about God's grace to you. We are Christian. You are made alive by God's grace in Christ. If someone asks you, how do you know that you're a Christian? Like today, how do you know that you have a new heart? We want to be able to say, uh, not just, well, I was baptized this day. We want to be able to say, I have new heart. I see ways in which I'm being conformed. This holiness is playing itself out in my life in different ways. So grace and holiness, they are, they are not enemies. They're not at odds. They are friends. Their order matters. We are made, we are bought by God, saved through Christ. And he is making us into his image one step at a time. And one day we will be made perfect 
which we'll spend more time thinking about in a couple weeks. We belong to God so that we might be made holy. Third, we belong to God's family. We belong to God's family. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons. If you are a Christian, our language that we use is kind of steeped in this reality. So we, we pray the Lord's Prayer, Our Father who art in heaven. Uh, I, my pastor growing up was Brother James, and I was probably seven before I realized that his first name wasn't Brother and his last name James. The, this, this is just the, the tone of our, our conversation with one another. And it, because of that, sometimes we can just kind of fly by this truth. We can, we can idly kind of roll past the amazing and wonderful truth of adoption. But remember, the, when, when, I, when I get tempted to do that, I, I love to go back and read the story of the prodigal son in Luke 15. You remember the beauty of this story, I hope, a man who has squandered his father's inheritance, who has taken his father's money and gone out and lived a lifestyle that he knew he should not live and ends up in a pigsty, just begging, can I just go eat some of the food that these pigs are eating? And finally, he comes to his wit's end, and one day he says, you know, I, just maybe... Just maybe if I go back, my father will accept me back as a servant. He'll take me as a slave, perhaps. But it'll be better than this. And when he gets close, you remember what happens in the story of the prodigal son. The father looks out and sees his son coming home. And he does not welcome him in with a half-hearted shrug and a sliver of mercy to say, Come on in, you can serve in the pits. He welcomes him in as a beloved son. He's not a mere servant shown a sliver of mercy. He is a beloved child who's overwhelmed by love. And this is the reason why the idea of adoption that we see here in this text, this idea is one of, if not the highest privilege that we receive in the gospel. One of my favorite books, probably my favorite book outside of the Bible, is a book called Knowing God by J.I. Packer. I'd strongly commend it if you want just a good meditation on this truth. And I've got a a few quotes on there. I'm going to walk through. Just help me think through what it is, why adoption is such a powerful and beautiful metaphor for what's happening, the reality of what happens for us in Christ. Packer has this to say. Our first point about adoption is that it is the highest privilege that the gospel offers because of the richer relationship with God that it involves. Adoption is a family idea, conceived in terms of love and viewing God as Father. In adoption, God takes us into his family and fellowship. He establishes us as his children and heirs. Closeness and affection and generosity are at the heart of the relationship. To be right with God the judge, that's talking about justification, so to be right with God the judge, that's a great thing. But to be loved... And cared for by God the Father is a greater. For these Ephesian Christians, these who have turned from idolatry to the living God, and in doing that, they've walked away from the entire lifestyle that they've probably known before that. They've walked away from the religion of their fathers. They've walked away from the marketplace and where their friends would likely be gathered. And it feels probably for them like stepping off a cliff into nothing. But in reality, what Paul is telling us here is that instead of stepping off a cliff into nothing, this is more just like jumping in a pool to the waiting arms of your dad ready to catch you. 
that he will be there. He says, you are adopted and your father is there. And he will hold you and he will keep you and hold you safe forevermore. And that's another implication of this idea of adoption. We are not adopted into God's family just for a season. This is not a class that you take or a cohort you belong to and it kind of breaks up and reforms or you go somewhere else. Now listen to how Packer puts this again. On your, this is on your note sheet. One more thing must be added to show how great is the blessing of adoption. Namely this, it is a blessing that abides. In God's family, you have absolute stability and security. The parent is entirely wise and good and the child's position is permanently secure, assured. The very concept of adoption is itself a proof and guarantee of the preservation of the saints. For only bad fathers throw their children out of the family, even under provocation. And God is not a bad father, but a good one. Those who belong truly to God and Christ belong to him forever. And this is a sharp contrast to the gods of the ancient world. If you've ever read, or you've gone through like a high school class on mythology, uh, the gods of the ancient world are fickle. They're, they're ready to throw people in and out and to, to do things quickly that, that you can, you can earn their, uh, their wrath and their eternal displeasure forever and you may be turned into some other creature in that kind of religion. But that, that's easy to see maybe in those religions. I think it's true of the so-called gods that people run after today. They're fickle. They'll turn away from you quickly. So worship the God of money. Hoard it so that you feel safe and secure. But all it takes is a downturn in the market or rampant inflation or a run on a bank. And all of a sudden, the, the place where you have placed your hopes, the God upon whom you've set your affections, your money will abandon you. Put your hope in work. Give the best years of your life to a company, to a place that you say, I find my identity in what I do and in this place. And when you get to a place where somebody can hire that position younger and cheaper or somebody who's more connected to your boss or the people higher up, you may find yourself out on the street and your work will abandon you. Worship your family even. Something that is good and meant to be, to be a good gift from God. Hold your family close. Transfer all your hopes and your affections and your desires there. You may find one day that your hopes are crushed. Because your family was not meant to hold the weight of your worship. But God, God the Father, the creator of the ends of the earth, he does not grow tired or weary. He is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. He does not adopt his children only one day to discard them. He brings, in, it brings us in so that he might hold us forever. And if we belong to God's family, if we call upon him as father, that also means that we find ourselves in a house full of brothers and sisters. Brothers and sisters, we are, by God's grace, a family. And each one of you who here belongs to God through Christ, we belong not just to God, but we belong to each other. I was thinking even about friends, some even in this church who have adopted children into their family. How, how much joy do parents have? Not just in saying, I'm, nobody says, I'm so looking forward to being your mom and dad, but I really don't want your brothers and sisters to think that you're actually brother and sister. No parent does that when they adopt into their family. 
One of the joys of adoptions is seeing your brothers and sisters love and welcome into your family this new child. That's one of the beauties that we have. And I think that this is one of the strongest apologetics for the gospel in a world that is constantly looking for a place to belong. For many, I believe one of the the, the biggest hindrances to coming to Christ, to following Jesus, is the reality that it means giving up what, what we've been talking about. It means giving up a sense of belonging. I've belonged to this place, and maybe even the arguments for Christianity sound really good, but I can't do that because I lose all these people. And we want to say, we want to stand with open arms as a church, as the people of God, to say, come into the family. Welcome in to new brothers and sisters in Christ. And so I think about my friend Muhammad, who was the president of the Muslim Student Association at UAB, and who befriended a group of Christians, and who doesn't really speak to his parents anymore, but who is a member at Christ Fellowship Church and has brothers and sisters who know and love him. Maybe you've read the story of Rosaria Butterfield, a woman who was living in a relationship that we would say is sinful. And all of her community was founded in LGBTQ communities. And the the weight of stepping out of that weighed heavy on her. But when she realized that Christ was, that, that she was called by God, that she was purchased by Jesus, that she repented and placed her faith in him, she stepped into a church family. I think about my friend Chris, who... Uh, all of his friendships, all of, all of his life, his friendships for, for his adult life were built around partying. And who said, I don't know what I'd do. What would I do? If I became a Christian, what would I do? Where would I go to have fun? That's not fun. And then he met some Christians who slowly and surely showed him the truth of the gospel and also said, welcome to the, if, if you do this, you gain. There's a gain to be had. Brothers and sisters, as we're, as we're calling people to step out from whatever their people may be worshiping, whatever your, your neighbor may have placed their hope in, we are calling them. Uh, it, it can be scary. We, we can recognize that. My, my prayer for this church, for other churches in our city, is that we'd be a place that welcomes in people who are looking for belonging. Who, Once we say, you belong to Christ, they find brothers and sisters who are there to walk with them. And I pray that the Lord would make Philadelphia Baptist Church, even a place where, as we call people to follow Christ, they would find family. Christian, do you love and embrace the truth that we have been adopted into God's family? And do you see how radically transformative this reality is? Listen one more time, just Packer encouraging us to embrace this holy. This has been helpful even this week as I've tried to practice this. Do I, as a Christian, understand myself? Do I know my own real identity? My own real destiny? I am a child of God. God is my Father. Heaven is my home. Every day is one day closer. My Savior is my brother. And every Christian is my brother too. Say it over and over to yourself first thing in the morning, last thing at night, as you wait for the bus, anytime your mind is free, and ask that you may be enabled to live as one who knows it all utterly and completely true. We, are, uh, we belong through Christ to God's family. 
Fourth point, and these last two will be shorter. We'll get more time to meditate on these in the weeks to come. We belong through Christ. We belong through Christ. We said in verses 1 through 2, Paul mentions Christ three times. He does that same thing four times in verses 3 through 6. He mentions that these blessings come in or through Christ. So in the middle of verse 3, he has blessed us in Christ. Verse 4, he chose us in him. That's in Jesus. In 5, we are adopted as sons through Christ. Verse 6, he has blessed us in the beloved. Paul is just proving his point. Like I mentioned in the introduction, he is never going to stray far from preaching Christ and him crucified. So God chose us. Yes, God chose us. But the way in which you were made right is through Christ. Lord willing, we will spend almost all of next week talking about uh, looking at the blessing of redemption in Christ. But we just ought not to lose sight of the fact that at every step along our way, Every step from before the foundation of the world to when we stand with him in glory. Every moment of your salvation and of mine, our hope is found only in the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so I say again to you here who desire God as your father, that comes only through turning and embracing him. There is no other way to the father but through him. Fifth and finally, we belong For the praise of God's grace. We belong for the praise of God's grace. There is an ultimate end, an ultimate goal and purpose to which Paul is driving. We are chosen and adopted and called into God's family, not simply for our benefit. Not simply so that we belong, but, as he ends there, to the praise of his glorious grace. So when you think of your salvation, brothers and sisters, the goal is that we would constantly fall on our knees and praise. The goal of this sermon is not simply so that you have your heads filled with more knowledge. You can go do Bible trivia. You can go answer some questions in core training. Well, the goal of this is the praise of God. That your affections would be fanned into flame, that he would receive your praise. Pastor John Piper, like many uh, theologians before him, he's helped many in my generation to... Uh, to see the consistent refrain. This is consistent throughout the Bible. The ultimate purpose of our existence is to glorify God and praise Him. Piper says this, God elects, predestines, and secures for one great ultimate purpose. That the glory of His grace might be praised forever and ever with white hot affection. Christian, you may feel out of place You may feel out of sorts in this world. It's possible that you even feel that way in places that you once felt comfortable. Places that felt like home and now all of a sudden they don't feel that way. But the Lord tells us that because of his gracious choice, you do have a place where you belong. Once dead, once alienated, we now stand as sons and daughters of the king. So let's close in prayer and praise the Lord for his grace this morning. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we do praise you. We want to live in obedience even to this text this morning. And we give you all honor and praise for choosing to adopt us into your family through Christ. Lord, would you drive that truth home into our lives so that as we think about it even this week 
as we dwell on it in the morning and at night and as we go to work, as we go to school, that you would help this truth to be your tool in shaping us more into the image of Christ. And we pray that you would draw more people to yourself. That we would lift high the name of Jesus. And that we would give you praise as you bring people from every tribe and nation and tongue into your kingdom. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.